Well, hey, Central. I want to take a moment. I want to welcome you to our annual Youth Sunday service. If you don't know who I am, my name is John. I have the great privilege of being the youth pastor here at Central. And today, I, on behalf of our students, our leaders, and our youth staff, want to just take a quick moment to say a massive thank you for supporting and investing into youth ministry here at the church. You know, this year, I started my, my 10th year at Central, and I have to say that uh, this year has been a lot harder than any other ministry year I've had. As you can imagine, trying to run uh, a vibrant youth ministry in the midst of a global pandemic is similar to herding wild cats. It's, it's, it's been hard. It's beat us up a little bit. It's required a lot of changes and adapting and pivoting and then, oh yeah, changing some more. But listen, I want you to hear something today. God has been so good because God has used this year in a way that I could have never imagined. You see, this year, we started the youth year with a lot of uncertainty because we, we had, a, had to change everything that we've ever done. In early September, we said goodbye to large group gatherings of students, and we started off the year with what we called house parties, which were age-specific small group gatherings of students that met in homes and gyms and offices and backyards with the, the sole purpose of growing disciples of Jesus, providing intergenerational mentorship and providing a warm, welcoming environment for students to explore questions about life, faith, and God. It was a beautiful thing until that got shut down and we were forced to move everything online. And, and so what do you do in the midst of forced change? Well, you embrace it. You roll with the punches. You see, our goal was to not get discouraged or distracted from the mission, but rather to ensure that our students had a place to connect and grow and serve. Well, after a few weeks of Zoom nights, uh, we started to put together uh, onla an online program that sought to accomplish our goal of leading youth to be authentic followers of Jesus. Uh, during the past 20 weeks, we have created YouTube nights, which had incredible skits put together by our youth staff. We had leaders cry eating spicy chicken wings. We worshiped Jesus together. We have seen students serve as hosts and game leaders. We, we, we have had an incredible time learning more about our hope in Jesus. And you know, in a year with so many challenges and changes, I, I can tell you that I have never in my 16 years of ministry seen such a dedicated team of adult leaders. And so this morning, I just want to put them on the spotlight and say a massive thank you for leaning in. Thanks for not giving up on students and continuing to, yeah, to, to know them so that we can uh, lead them to Jesus. I've also seen uh, so many committed students who have stuck through countless changes. And, and that means the world to us that you would, you would stick through uh, thick and thin. Uh, it really means that you love our church and you love youth. And so thanks for that. And, and lastly, I just want to thank you as a church for, for leaning in and being a church that, uh, that's known in our community uh, for loving kids as we offer the hope of Jesus. Well, this morning, it's my privilege to spend some time in God's word with you. But before I do that, I, I want to start off by sharing with you a quick story of when I got my driver's license. You see, when I was 16 years old, I, I ventured into the world of independence by doing what every 16-year-old kid does. I, I convinced my parents that I was responsible and mature enough to get my driver's license. Now, one of the things that you need to know about me is I, I hate tests. Uh, always have, always will be. It's actually the reason why it took me like eight tries to get my L. Uh, but when I did get it, I started driving underneath the watchful eyes of my mom and dad and eventually got a driving instructor. 
And eventually they said, John, uh, you're ready to get your end. And so my mom brought me down to the AXA Center for what I would say is the worst test that I've taken in my life. Like, why don't you think about this for a second? Uh, on your road test, you, you have a complete stranger sitting beside you with a clipboard who, who's essentially judging you the whole time while, they're, while, they're, while you're driving, right? They're, they're telling you what you did right and what's wrong. But the issue is they don't actually talk to you until it's over, which makes it daunting for those who fear failure. Um, and, and so after completing you know, the road test, the, the driving examiner turned to me and said, John, you did a really good job. Um, you, you did one thing wrong. You didn't shoulder check. You got so I gave you one demerit. But I wanna, I, I want you to continue to drive this way. Can you promise me that? And, and in that moment, you know, I said yes because I was really excited to get my driver's license. And and I said, I promise, you, you know, I'll be the best driver that that there'll ever be. But I also remember feeling this massive sigh of relief, thinking to myself, man, I'm so glad that I never have to drive this cautiously or attentively ever again. Uh, matter of fact, as soon as I passed my road test, I, I drove home with my mom uh, and I asked her, I said, mom, you know, I just got my driver's license. Can I please take your white 1999 four door Sunfire with a 2.2 liter for a quick drive? And and get this, she allowed me to. And so what do you think I did? Well, I drove around and I ended up at my high school and and I parked in front of the front doors of the school at lunchtime and I did the biggest brake stand and burnout in front of my school, which may or not be in our town. Uh, and later that night, I, I took my 1984 Ford Escort and uh, hung out with a friend and on my way home, I remember stopping at a red light and I was over the line, obviously in the intersection. And so I put my car in reverse and I backed up right into the car behind me. You see, it took me it took me only hours to forget and disregard the training commitment and promise that I made to be a safe driver. Now, this last year has has been a strange year for the life of the church. Uh, it's been a year unlike any that I've experienced, and and what I know about myself and what I've observed is that it's also been so easy to find. Um, to find ourselves in faith, forgetting the core trainings, commitments, and disciplines that we've made as followers of Jesus when the accountability and structure of the church is not able to function as it normally does. You see, this is the reason why our youth team and our volunteers have worked so tirelessly to ensure that our students have a place to belong and a place to continue to ground them in the good news of Jesus because we know that where there is an absence of structure and accountability, we will inevitably see students walk away from their faith and from the church because it's our, our human nature to do so. You know, as I thought about my experiences as a high school driver and my experience this last year in faith, I've asked a lot of questions about what it means to be an authentic follower of Jesus. And as I was preparing for this morning, I, I stumbled across a verse in 1 Peter that I believe encourages us in a, a time such as this to refocus and recalibrate and recommit ourselves and our understanding and practices of what it means to be authentic followers of Jesus. And so this is what Peter writes to the church in 1 Peter 1 verse 13 to 16. He says, therefore, with Minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I think that this is a great verse for the church today. You see, Peter wrote this 
in a time where the church had found themselves scattered as exiles. You see, the church at this time was, was young and it was in its infancy and it began to draw attention from, from other people and from Rome. And, and these people thought, uh, sought to, to persecute it and destroy it. And what, what Peter encourages the church to do in light of its suffering is to endure, to remain steadfast, to stand securely in the promises of the gospel, regardless what the cost is and what's going on around them. You see, what Peter wanted to see in the life of the church was, was a people who were defined by their faithfulness and commitment to the very end. Even if they found themselves in times of distress and instability, like Peter's heart was that they would be reminded that the gospel changes everything, that even the, the worst situation we find ourselves in is actually opportunities for us to live, uh, to live out our faith because we are completely dependent on Jesus. You see, in the midst of suffering and persecution, he knew that these experiences were, were kind of the, the purifying fire, we could say, that takes away the distractions and the false hope and the anchor, and, and, and sorry, and anchors our hope completely in Jesus. And one of the things that we have to do this morning is, as we dig into our passage is ask the question, can we say with complete confidence that we are authentic followers of Jesus? And as you think about that question and wrestle with it this morning, I want you to listen to three truths that Peter shares with the church in their suffering. <clears throat> the first truth is that authentic followers of Jesus put their hope completely in the gospel. Listen, one of the things that we believe here at Central and at our, our youth group is that the gospel is the most important thing because it's the one thing that changes everything about our lives. You see, the gospel is the good news that God became man in Jesus Christ. He lived the life we should have lived, and he died the death that we should have died in our place. And three days later, Jesus rose again from the dead, uh, proving he was the Son of God. He offered uh, the gift of salvation and forgiveness of sins to anyone who repents and believes in him. You see, nothing is more important, and no news is as good as the good news of Jesus. You see, Peter wanted to remind the church of its, its first importance that even in the midst of suffering and turmoil, that the church must stay focused on the gospel. He writes to the church, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. You see, to be alert requires us to stay focused on where we're going, not where we've been. And being fully sober requires us to be watchful and undistracted. In, in 1 Peter 5 verse 8, Peter says that, that Christians need to be spiritually vigilant. And they need to have a hope that's secure because ultimately what Peter knows is that struggles and hardships and persecution is going to be the reality and a part of the life of the church. You see, the reason why hope in the gospel is so important is because it's the grounding in which we find stability in times of chaos. John Piper wrote these words, and, and I think it just so, like, it just really clearly lays out the importance of this. The gospel is good news because it brings a person into the everlasting and ever increasing joy of Jesus Christ. He's not merely the rope that pulls us from the threading waves. He is the solid beach under our feet, the air in our lungs, the beat of our heart, the warm sun on our skin, and the song in our ears and the arms of our beloved. In other words, what he's saying, it's the very essence of our being. 
To the Christian, Jesus is everything. But here's the issue. that We live in a culture and a time that says, put your hope in anything other than Jesus. Like, think about all the messages of the world that say, put your hope in your accomplishments. Put your hope in what others think of you. Put your hope in influence, in religion, in politics. Put your hope in your sexuality, your children, in money, in power, doing the right things. But folks, all of those things will fail you because there is no real hope or certainty in them. You see, Peter is calling the church to fix their hope on something that's solid and lasting. And so what does it mean to set or, or fix our hope on something? Well, I believe that Proverbs 4 verse 25 best gives us what this looks like for the believer. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Okay, what this is saying is don't take your eyes off of the cross. Continually fix your thoughts, your hearts, your souls, your minds on Jesus, what he did, who he is, and who he will soon be. You know, in this season, it has been so easy to get distracted, to look to other things, to fill our time with meaningless things, thinking that it, it gives us a sense of purpose and hope. But no matter the struggle or abuse or discomfort that may come from the Christian life, we are called to press on in hope. Later on in 1 Peter 5 verse 8, Peter gives us the reason why we're to stay focused on the gospel. And it is this, is because we have an enemy who is real. We have an enemy that wants to see us turn away from faith and leave it and leave the church behind. Church, we must remember that we have a greater enemy and opponent in the midst of suffering and, and persecution. And I wonder how many of us have actually thought about this last year, in a year where we've been so concerned about politics and about um, gatherings, that, that things like our spiritual lives that we're responsible for are under attack by an enemy far greater than a virus. You see, one of the things that Peter explains later on to the church is, is that that in the midst of hardships and persecution, that we can actually be blinded by who the true enemy is. And what we're told is that, that Satan is like a prowling lion, that, he, that he's going to seek to devour us and destroy us. And so what does it mean to set or fix our hope on something? Well, it's a question of, of where will we turn to find meaning for our lives, to find relief from suffering, to fill up the emptiness that our souls experience. Well, Psalms 39 verse 7 just reminds us, my only hope is in you. Therefore, if our only hope is in Jesus, then it's going to require that we do, as Peter says, to be alert, to be fully sober. You see, this is a call to the believers to not be distracted by anything other than Jesus and Jesus alone. Hebrews 3 verse 1 says, therefore, holy brothers, partners in a heavenly calling, keep your focus on Jesus, the apostle the high priest of our confession. Here's the second thing that we discover in our passage. Authentic followers of Jesus obey the word, not the world. You know, one of the things that I so love about our church and what I love about our youth group is that we believe that the Bible is one of the most foundational aspects of our lives and church. Okay, we believe in the inspiration of this book, that it is the very words that God wanted us to know, which has been, been written and recorded for us today. 
And the reason why we preach from the Bible is because it's the very words of God. It points us to Jesus, who is the hope and the light in the midst of despair. Peter continues his writing, and he says to the church, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your, your former ignorance. Uh, another way to say this is, don't lazily slip back into those old grooves of evil, doing just what you feel like doing. You didn't know any better then, but you do now. Now, as a dad of four kids, I, I kind of get what Peter is trying to say. He's saying not only is obedience required for believers, but it's also second nature to them. You see, the more and more my kids hear our family rule and our expectations for them, the hope is, is that they begin to follow it naturally. And that I, as a parent, have to instruct them less and less, reminding them to clean up their stuff. Now, if you think I'm some kind of parenting expert, I'm not because I'm getting four massive doses of what I put my parents through as a, as, as a kid. But listen, I want you to hear something this morning. How you live matters. And what you give yourself to matters. You see, Peter's instructing the church to be a people of the word, to be a people who, who long for truth in a world of shifting values. You see, ultimate truth is found in scripture. And, and when we give ourselves to the word of God, it changes how we live and it changes how we deal with the hard things like sin and suffering and persecution. You see, Peter's instruction to the churches is don't conform to the evil desires that you had when you lived in ignorance. Don't, don't do the things you used to do. You see, all of us have a past. We, we have stuff. Uh, we all have sin that is characterized and, and marking our lives. Uh, sin is described as missing the mark. It is, it is disobeying God's holy rules and law. It includes things like lying and stealing and cheating. It includes drunkenness and anger and greed, gossip, bitterness, disrespect, adultery, pornography, unthankfulness. Like, I mean, the list is long and every single one of us is guilty of something, so, guilty of sin. But part of the process that we're all in is that God wants to sanctify us, to transform us, that, that our lives would, would reflect less of the sinfulness of the world and more like him. You see, the reason why we preach the gospel on a weekly basis here at Central and the reason why we never stopped our youth ministry during COVID was because we believe that the, 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 the word of God is God-breathed. It's useful for, for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness. God's word is not just a book, but it's the lamp unto our feet. It's the thing that grounds us and reminds us the importance of Jesus. You see, Peter is reminding the church that, that true obedience to God means we hear and trust and submit and surrender to God and his, his word. But you know what? We live in a world where anything goes. Through our culture and mainstream media, we're bombarded with a message that says, do what you want, when you want, with whoever you want, believe what you want to believe. No one can tell you otherwise. At this point, our culture is essentially saying anything goes. But just as our culture says anything goes, I want you to look at the destruction and the brokenness and the hurt and the pain that our world is in. You see, authentic followers of Jesus know the weight of their sin. They know the consequences of it, and they do everything they can to flee from it. It's the reason why Paul in, in the epistles would say something very similar to what Peter wrote. He said, don't conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You see, the way that we deal with sin and the way that we deal with, with, with not conforming to the world is by being people of the word to be grounded and focused in Jesus. 
and the things that he wants. And the question I have for you is, 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 is your mind transformed? Do you hate your sin? And can you say that your life is characterized by, by, by obedience? Or is, it, or is it characterized by conforming? You know, if I'm honest with you, this last year has been a, been a tough year for a lot of us because in the absence of church and in the absence of, of gatherings, a lot of us got lost in, in a bunch of different things. A lot of us spent time watching Netflix and on social media, flipping through TikTok. A lot of us didn't dive deep into the word on our own, which is probably why some of our lives right now just seem really messy because we've fallen into a pattern of sin and the sins that we used to struggle with. You know, this last year, I, I spent some time reading a book called This Changes Everything, How the Gospel Transforms the Teen Years. And, and this is what a high school author wrote, and I just love this. Listen, as Jesus followers, she says, we have a command and a responsibility to hate the small sins in our lives. And that even includes the sins that, that even Christians have started to expect from teenagers. The sins that have become so regular in our lives that we've pushed them underneath the carpet and practically laughed off. You see, one of the things you need to know is that even the ordinary sins are threatening, threatening roadblocks for Christians. They can ease into our blind spots and wedge their way into the cracks of our lives. And it's the reason why I think Peter says, don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Because when we do, it has a damaging impact on our faith. Listen, folks, it is so easy to fall into complacency and for faith to be destroyed. Uh, Henry Nouwen, who is, a, is an author and a theologian, said, I am constantly falling back into an old trap. Before I'm even fully aware of it, I find myself wondering why someone hurt me, rejected me, or didn't pay attention to me. Without realizing it, I find myself brooding about someone else's success, my own loneliness, and the way that the world abuses me. Despite my conscious intentions, I often catch myself daydreaming about becoming rich and powerful and very famous and all of these things. All of these mental games reveal to me the fragility my faith. Folks, we're, we're called not to be ignorant. And if there's anything that we need to learn this year is that all of us are subject to fall back into our former ways of life, especially when there isn't accountability there or structure. Peter knows that the temptation for the readers to return back to their normal conduct is real and, and that some of them may actually stumble and fall. It's the reason why he warns us. This last year, one of, one of my favorite, most rewarding moments in ministry was receiving a message from one of our high school students at like 12 p.m. at night, and they wrote this, like dude. Okay, I love when text messages start off like dude. I'm so intrigued by what I've been reading in the Bible. I started reading my Bible recently. It makes more sense than ever before. To see the brokenness of man, to see them cry out to God and God saying, I'm going to deliver this people. John, God's plan is so cool. And I realized how much I need the word of God in my life and how much I've been chasing after the world. John, please pray for me that I stay focused on God's word. That was the best text message because that student's becoming an authentic follower of Jesus. 
Here's the last thing that we discover in our passage. Authentic followers of Jesus imitate Christ by living lives of holiness. You see, it doesn't matter what circumstance, trial, or suffering that we go through. One of the greatest truths that we need to remember is that we've been called out of darkness into a marvelous light. And just as the gospel shatters black and white into brilliant color, Jesus has taken the spiritually dead and made us thrillingly and beautifully and abundantly alive. Peter knows that when we realize this incredible truth, when we place our hope in Jesus, when we abide in God's word and we start rejecting the things of this world, that our lives actually begin to look transformed and look more like Jesus. And Peter ends our, our passage by reminding us that authentic followers of Jesus are to be imitators of Christ. Just as he is holy, so we are to be holy, to be set apart. And so our lives just as Christ was set apart, should look radically different than the rest of the world. Now, if you know me, one of the things that I, I love is impressionists. As a matter of fact, often in staff meetings, Pastor Chris and I make some sort of impression and we try to outdo each other. But here's the thing that I've learned about impressionists. All that an impressionist does is mimic another person's voice, look, or action. But just because they can nail that perfect Christopher Walken voice or Morgan Freeman, it, it does not mean they're actually them. And as I thought about that, I thought about all the times in my life where I've done a really great job at mimicking Christ, but I also know that I have failed at imitating Christ. You see, imitation involves not only copying external behaviors, but it's duplicating, it's copying the internal motivations and making them our own. You see, we are called to imitate Christ in all that we do. It's one thing to be humble, but it's a completely different thing to be to imitate Christ's humility by becoming a servant because Christ was a servant. It's one thing to love someone, but it's completely different to love someone as Jesus loved them because it cost them everything, and so it should cost us, us everything, and we should be okay with it. It's one thing to say you're forgiven because it's a nice thing to do because we're supposed to do that, but it's a completely different other thing when we forgive others because Christ forgave us and we long to imitate Christ. You see, I think one of the things that we're really good at sometimes is saying we imitate Christ, but, but forgetting that imitation also requires deep motivation. And I don't say this to judge you. I say this because I know that I fail miserably sometimes in this area of my life. The other day, I was coming home from the perfect week camping. I had a week off. I, I, I was really, really needing it. And so I went camping. And as my son and I were driving home from this awesome week, I, I went around a corner and all of a sudden I heard this loud crash, this bang. And I looked in my, my side view mirrors and I realized that my back hatch on my trailer had opened and everything in the back of my trailer ended up in the middle of the road. I mean, stuff was, was strewn everywhere. Now, if you want to talk about failing to imitate Christ, try picking up wrenches and socket sets and fishing gear and camping gear while 40 cars are stopped on both sides, angrily waiting for you to clean up your crap. Like, I, I, I will be completely honest with you and let you know that this was not my shining bright moment because I was angry, I was frustrated, I was embarrassed. I, I'm sure, no, I'm certain I said a lot of choice words. And thankfully, there was this man who stopped and he had a wheelbarrow. And so he loaded everything into the wheelbarrow with me and we threw it in the back of my truck and I just embarrassingly said, thank you. And the man walked away. 
and I was mad and my son looked at me and said, do as I say, not as I do, right dad? You see, in that moment, I wasn't Christ-like to my son. I wasn't Christ-like in my attitude. I wasn't Christ-like in my thankfulness for this individual who, who sacrificially stopped and helped me. I, I was more focused on my embarrassment and frustration than, than, than imitating Christ. You see, the goal of our Christian lives is to look more like Jesus every day. And if we as a church long to imitate Christ and, and get it right, that's going to require us to do a few things. It's going to require us to follow Jesus, to learn from Jesus, to learn from Jesus, to listen to Jesus, to know Jesus, to walk with Jesus, to live with Jesus, to live for Jesus. Because this is, this is what someone does who longs to imitate Jesus. Listen, one of the most exciting things this, this past year was students who, who longed to be different, to be set apart, to imitate Jesus in their schools, in their homes, and in their workplaces. And one of the coolest things this past year in a pandemic was that 11 students professed their faith in Jesus. They stood up and they said, we want to be set apart. We want people to know we hate our sin. We want people to know we love Jesus with everything. And we want to reflect that to a world so that they can know how awesome God is. To know how awesome Jesus is. You see, church, we have a call to be holy as Christ is holy. By imitating him in all that we do because the world needs to see Jesus shine through you and shine through the church. Listen, church, when I was 16 years old, I learned a valuable lesson about forgetting the core trainings, commitments, and disciplines that made me a good driver. And likewise, this season has been hard for all of us on, on a bunch of different levels, and many of us have learned valuable lessons about how easy it is to forget the core trainings and commitments and disciplines that make us authentic followers of Jesus. And today, I simply want to encourage you to chase after Jesus now, to realize that hope in him is far better than placing your hope on anything else. I want to encourage you as one of your pastors to find new rhythms and patterns that will bring about the deeper faith and dependence that Jesus wants from you. And as we transition back to normality, praise the Lord. Church, Jesus longs for your hearts. He longs for your souls. He longs for your minds and he longs for your strength. He wants you to love him and to love others in the most radical way because this is what an authentic follower of Jesus does.